Hello there. I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast, where I teach concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. So a huge welcome to you to today's episode brought to you by ATI Nursing, the trusted leader in nursing education. ATI is dedicated to empowering nursing students and educators with innovative solutions for success on exams and in their careers. From the ATITs to comprehensive NCLEX preparation and ongoing professional development, ATI Nursing offers the resources and support needed to excel in the ever-evolving healthcare environment. Stay tuned as we dive into the concept of academic integrity with a nurse educator and ATI security expert. So let's get started and explore this topic with ATI. So I'm joined here today with two experts from ATI. I've got Dr. Karen Taylor and Jeff Marsh. So I'm going to have each of you Tell us a little bit about your background and your role with ATI. So Dr. Karen Taylor, let's start with you. Sure. My background as far as nursing practice is in maternal newborn and community health. And then I did that for years. We're not going to talk about how many. Um, (laughs) And then moved into the classroom setting. I taught at the LPN, RN level. I also taught at the graduate level done clinical, then recently, about four years ago, retired from that and moved over to work for ATI. And I work as a uh, nursing education consultant, really more on the faculty side with faculty development, curriculum development, and um, accreditation assistance. Excellent. Thank you. And I don't talk about how many years I've been doing this either, so it's okay. (laughs) All right. And then moving on to Jeff, tell us about your background and your role with ATI. Thank you. I've uh, been in the exam security field for about six years with a background in IT technology before that. And I've been doing exam security related items for quite a few years now presenting at exam security conferences and making sure that we have the strongest exam security, test security, anti-cheating methods in place in all of the exams and content that we give through ATI. Before I started working on this episode, I did not know that that was a person's job to be completely devoted to exam security, probably because I'm old as dirt. And when I was in college, it felt like everything was pencil and paper, but now, right, everything's electronic, everything's online. So I can see why that would be a growing field. So I'm really happy to have both of you experts here today talking about academic integrity. And I I guess the first thing to start this conversation off is why is academic integrity such an important factor, especially as far as we look at the nursing education and the nursing profession. Dr. Taylor, do you want to pop in with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think academic integrity in general has a couple of different places where it falls into definitions, but ultimately the body of nursing education, we we are responsible for not just providing knowledge, not just providing opportunities for students to practice skills and things like that. But we're also there to help them develop their professional role identity, which comes into things like, you know, respect and responsibility and ethical behavior and evidence-based care. 
The reason that is so important is not just because we want to hope and think that in their job, they'll do what they're supposed to do. But unlike a lot of other jobs, their integrity, their evidence-based practice, their ethics ultimately can protect or do harm to another human being, which takes it to another level. Your state boards of nursing, that is why they exist. They exist to protect the public. So hence the reason the state boards of nursing are in charge as a collective through the NCSBN of administering NCLEX, which is the board certification exam. And the reason it's it's so highly you know, developed and, and lots of changes have come to that recently. But ethics, even ethics that a student may or may not consider to be a problem or may not consider to be cheating. You mentioned what is cheating, what is not. Various activities and behaviors can still lead to negative patient outcomes. Absolutely. And ultimately, when you join a nursing program, you're learning some things and you're practicing some things with the ultimate goal of having the best possible outcome for your patient. Right. Yeah. I love that you mentioned like public safety. This is... Yeah. It's, it's a public not, safety issue. Right. It's not a per, like, you know, if I'm a student in, I don't know, interior design and I have an exam and I cheat on that exam, no one's really going to be harmed from that, except maybe <laughs> someone has a really ugly, you know, living room, right? <laughs> but if I'm a nurse and I cheat on an exam or I'm a nursing student and I do this, it's not, it's not just quote unquote for helping me because it's absolutely not helping me. In my mind, I think I'm helping myself, but I'm not. But I'm actually putting public safety Mm-hmm. at risk. So it's a, it's a really, yeah. really big deal. It's and deal. I'm so glad that you said that. So as we were preparing for this conversation, uh, someone from your team shared some information from the Gallup poll. And, you know, mm-hmm. nurses were always so proud of our position as yes. the most trusted profession. Yes. And when I graduated nursing school, I gave like the keynote speech at my pinning ceremony. And I talked right. about that because it meant yeah. the world to me. It, yeah. And to see that, I, I believe nurses still rank very highly or, or, you know, are still the highest, but scores are dropping. And that was really, really eye-opening to me. And they are kind of sad to think that we've eroded the public trust in some ways. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's crazy. A lot of that came to light, like many other not-so-proud moments across the country during COVID, really, I think, probably mm-hmm. brought a few things to light. For various reasons, not just related to integrity exactly in the classroom, but integrity to um, the role. And we had so many nurses who were so burned out because of non-ethical behavior they were witnessing by whether it was hospitals or employers or work hours or what have you, or that they were the ones making the ethical behaviors, but yet we were still seeing so many nation negative patient outcomes. And I think when you see a group of people just up and walk away from a profession, it tends to tarnish mm-hmm. the reputation. Um, for so long, we, no matter what color scrubs we wear and how cute they are, everybody still sees Florence Nightingale walking down the hall. And that's just not the case anymore. And it can start with the assimilation of and embracing of your professional role identity, which is a big part of academic integrity that I think you're going to start to see the national creditors, national bodies that have received various components of nursing are really pushing hard for. 
Yeah, I think it's just, it starts in nursing school. It starts even before that, right? And we'll it get to- It starts day one, yeah. Yeah, and does. we'll get to talking about that more when we get to talk yeah. with Jeff about the TEAS exam and some things yeah. uh, related to that. But it absolutely, I remember when I started nursing school and they just hammered on this so, so much. And to me, it would mm-hmm. never cross my mind. But I was, And I was almost like, why are they harping on this so right. much? And now I realize that- you know, maybe it's not common sense for everyone. Um, And it is just so, so very important. Mm -hmm. And I guess the next thing that I, my mind goes to that place of where's the, how does personal accountability fit into this with our students, how they're comporting themselves, I guess. Do you have any, when I look at it, I see us as this trusted profession, right? Right. So I assume (laughs) Anyone that wants to be in that group of people is trustworthy. But as I'm finding out, maybe that's not always the case. And I saw a study that said that nursing students engage in dishonest academic behavior Mm -hmm. at the same level as other disciplines. I was really, really... In higher education. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a report that I I looked at. I think it's in the 40, between 40 and 50%. I think is what it reported. Now, and that was across higher education, but nursing students were included in that and admitted. And these are just, of course, the ones who admitted. Mm-hmm. And we all know that if we're talking about dishonest behavior, there's probably some who wouldn't admit who wouldn't, for that yeah. reason. But yeah, I think too, what we have to keep in mind is that we've got multiple generations now, not just one generation, but multiple generations now who have been taught from K through 12 and then beyond to measure success, to measure positive image, positive self-image, to measure um, achievement by a score, by a number, Mm -hmm. you know, and you do this one thing, then you get this, you know, and it's a very give and take. You get to nursing and it's not about that anymore. Nursing, yes, we assign a score. Yes, there's a test. You know, Jeff is going to talk more about the entrance exams and things like that. And systematically over the last probably 10, 20 years, that has been put in the public view as more of roadblocks. I shouldn't have to take tests anymore. You know, you should be able to do this and see that I can do this. And what we're trying to do is is not just test. We have other methods of evaluation that are just as important that tell us not that you can memorize and spit back out to me every word in the book, but that you can use that to make an ethically sound, competent, safe decision that will push forward your patient outcome to the positive right. side of things. And that's why NCSPN changed the NCLEX test plan this past year right? Uh, in, in 23. And this right here was the reason. If you look at the studies from them that came out of that, that next-gen report, we were looking in the area of up to half of all first-year students after graduation were involved in a Sentinel event or an adverse patient event. Again, those are the ones that are reported. That's a wow. <laughs> That's wow. And that has to change. That has to change and it has to change quickly. And so I think that there's a lot of space for this to happen. It's finally come to light. Mm -hmm. But we've got multiple generations of students who it's not that they even maybe think they're cheating or it's not a decision. This is just Mm -hmm. the way raised. Information is everywhere. If I want to know how to do something, I don't need to go sit and read a book and figure it out. I can Google it or I can yell the word Alexa and somebody's going to tell me how to do it, you know, and, and to them, that's normal life. Why would a test be any different? Yeah. I love that you made the point of how nursing school evaluation is not just about 
taking mm-hmm. in knowledge and spitting it back out on mm-hmm. an exam. It's how you apply that knowledge. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what I tell students all the time. Mm-hmm. Your job as a nurse is to see problems and fix them. You've mm-hmm. got to do something about it. And when you're taking right. exams in nursing school, you've got to know what to do. It's not just to know right. that uh, a potassium of 5.8 is high. You know, it's what high, are you going right. to do about this? What are you going to do to keep your patient safe? And memorizing or even just relying on, you know, unethical academic behavior isn't going to tell you what you're going to do about it. It's going to tell you, you know, more of that knowledge-based stuff that is right. going to help you in that application, which is that higher level. I think that's another reason why students maybe struggle so much in nursing schools because they're not yeah. necessarily used to application knowledge type questions. No, no, and then not maybe, at all. And we'll talk about different types of academic dishonesty in just a moment because you mentioned they may not think it's cheating, but it actually is. Right. But I was really surprised. I found a few articles on this topic as I was preparing and it was kind of across the board the way that students attempt to justify their behavior you know, like when they're caught or even maybe mm-hmm. justified to themselves saying things like everybody does it. Okay. First of all, no, not everybody does it. <laughs> I promise you. Another one was it's the only way to pass nursing school because it's so difficult. Again, absolutely untrue. Sometimes it's not cheating. It's a shortcut. And we'll talk about mm-hmm. that in just a moment. Or I'm just helping my classmates by telling them what was on the exam. I want to be, I want to be helpful, right? Well, that's You know, that's not a valid justification. And then another one that I saw that was really surprising to me, and maybe this is more for the private college, but the student thinking, well, I'm not going to get kicked out because I'm, I'm a paying customer. And I I was going to say that to me, that is one of the cultural shifts we saw in higher ed across the board. Again, probably 20, 25 years ago when they started changing student to customer and, or, mm-hmm. you know, and it, we became a, and it's, it's, it's at the public university level too. Is it? Oh yeah, absolutely. And policies, I, I was actually right before this was looking at a couple more articles before we jumped on. And that was one of the mentions of student and faculty concepts. There was a lot of vague knowledge when it came to policies and enforcement of mm-hmm. academic integrity policies. Because ultimately, that school needs that revenue. That yes. school needs to have that person in the seat. And they're going to try to do what they can, whether it's remediation or whatever, to continue their process. The other part of that is the push for equal opportunities. And you want to give students opportunities. You want to give students every edge that you can. But that can't be edged like giving answers or overlooking this or giving a different assignment, whatever it may be. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear that, but that, that is where we're at. That is, that is what has happened. Yeah. I just feel like nursing education is just at such a higher standard. Absolutely. It has to be. Because of the public safety component. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to, I want to talk about ways that students might not think of academic dishonesty. I mean, the obvious one is cheating on an exam, right? But there's also collusion, there's plagiarism, there's fabrication, even sabotage. So let's talk about each of these a little bit because I want students, as you're going through nursing school, 
you know, I always say there's a nurse angel and a nurse devil, and there's one on each shoulder. And sometimes the nurse devil will say something and you might go, hmm, I don't know, that feels a little weird. I want the nurse angel to speak to you a little louder. And that can only work if you have the background knowledge to support that nurse angel that's on your shoulder. So looking at collusion, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Well, it depends on the setting and it depends on the assignment type or what's happening. An an example, a prime example is everyone sitting around at the end of the day of a clinical experience and there's care plans or there are concept maps or there paperwork that they're filling out and maybe some of the disease processes or situations that each of the students, patients had might be similar, might be a little Mm -hmm. similar. And so, hey guys, I'll take CHF and I'll write up everything on CHF. If you'll write everything up on COPD and then we'll just cross-check it with each other. I actually had a student come to me and do this. Well, I was taking care of the same patient. So of course my answers and what I'm going to say are going to be the same. No, actually they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to see if you're making the same decisions based off that data that you got. And they just don't see it that way. They did not understand that just because you were taking care of the same person I'm looking at this paperwork, and yes, I do read every word that I have to, and I'm bleeding my red ink all over it because which one was your decision and which one was the other nursing student's decision? And they have Um, to be able to make their own independent decisions. You have to be able to make your own independent decisions. You're not going to be caring for someone in in tandem. You'll be working on a team, but you're each going to have very different ideas and perceptions of the data and and what you're receiving. And that is a very hard concept because they Mm -hmm. are used to working collaboratively in other types of higher ed or even K-12. Collaboration is fine. And we teach teamwork and collaboration. That's very different from collusion. That's very different from, you know, what we're talking about here. Um, I used to call it partner testing or team testing, (laughs) you know, groupthink, because my students would hear me say this all the time. You don't get to groupthink on NCLEX. You don't get to, you know, collaborate on on that or T's or or any other standardized tests. I think the issue here, though, and, and this was echoed in another article that I was reading before this, is that faculty need to do a little bit more to define those terms. I was just going to say that. Yeah, and and not just stick them in a syllabus, but really go through them bit by bit with the students so that they understand the expectations and they understand that there is a difference. Right, and yes, exactly. Like for each assignment, work on this independently or Mm -hmm. it's okay to work on this with a friend. Like when I was in school, we had, you know, a million online quizzes and they encouraged us to do some of them with friends because we would get to see more questions and talk them out. But when that was not encouraged, they were very explicit. This is an independent assignment. And so there was really no gray area because we always knew. But I could see how students could feel like this is a a fuzzy area for sure. So that was collusion. Mm -hmm. And then plagiarism we've all heard of. Tell us a little bit about how plagiarism is academic dishonesty. Yeah, plagiarism is something we see quite often in that it's, you know, copying somebody else's work as your own, and that could be on an assignment or Mm -hmm. in my world, often as a test, it's still, it's cheating if you're copying somebody's answers, but in a short answer situation or something along those lines, it can also be 
a form of plagiarism, or if you went onto the web and looked up an answer and copied it verbatim in your test or in your assignment, that's something that we would consider plagiarism as well and overall under the umbrella of cheating in general. And I would add to that, and this is something that I I learned about when I was um, in college. I hadn't really heard this term before, but self-plagiarism. If I write a paper for class A, and then in class B, I have the same topic and I submit uh-huh. that same paper and I pass it off as a, a, a novel work for that uh-huh. specific assignment. That's self-plagiarism. And I could see how a student might think, oh, I'm, I'm being efficient with my time, uh-huh. right? Yeah. When it's, it's, actually, it's one of those things where you might not realize yeah. it. It's more, um, you know, not as obvious, but it definitely right. falls in that category of academic dishonesty. Mm-hmm. And to that, I would also add, even accidental plagiarism occurs, mm-hmm. and it's really unfortunate when this happens. And I think sometimes this occurs because students may come into a nursing program without a strong writing background and not mm-hmm. understand that they need to paraphrase. They need to take multiple sources and, and write it in their own words mm-hmm. and knowing how to cite things. So to a yeah. student who's having you know challenges with this and, and not sure when you're writing, if you're ever unsure, you're probably in that gray area. So rewrite it into your own words, cite your sources, get really good right. at APA formatting and, you know, run it through a, a, one of those online checkers. Mm-hmm. Even though I wrote my master's, you know, my final paper for my master's program, it was a comprehensive exam. Even though I knew I had done a really thorough job of rewriting and putting things into my own words and adding my own context, I was still so paranoid about accidentally plagiarizing that I ran it through. Yeah. I forget the name of it, but it was one of those checkers and um, it was fine, but that's another good practice to do, especially as you're kind of learning the ropes of scholarly writing. Are you gearing up for the ATITs and feeling overwhelmed? Don't worry. ATI has got you back. The ATIT's prep is there to guide you through every step of the way with materials created by the same team that created the actual exam. You can get personalized study plans with smart prep, online practice tests, pattern after the actual exam, an app for on the go studying, and so much more. Ensure you're fully prepared to ace your exam. In just a few weeks, you can boost your confidence and your scores. Start your journey to success today. Visit the website at www.ATITesting.com to check out official Tease Prep materials. Okay, what about fabrication? What would you consider fabrication? It could be... (laughs) could be a lot of different things. It really could. Let me stop and think about that one for a second. Yeah, this example I had when I was in my graduate studies, I had to do a lot of grading and I had to read a lot of discussion board posts. And you know Mm -hmm. how, you know, the truthfulness of them, it's just sometimes really obvious that something is kind of fabricated. So let's say you have to write a discussion board post about an experience you had in clinical. And rather than taking the time to really reflect on that experience, you just make something up. Like that to me would be a really blatant fabrication. We had another term for it that I'm not going to (laughs) say. But that particular meter would typically go off in your head. Oh, I know the meter. Yes. The meter meter will go off. One of those people who who it takes two or three pages and they still haven't actually addressed what you asked them to address. 
I also think of fabrication really as a, and thinking in terms of, you know, my kids when they were little, those little white lies or those, Mm -hmm. you know, or flat out lies, a big one. And again, this goes back to really helping that student develop their professional role identities coming up to me in clinical and then saying, Hey, did you check? I saw you gave that pain medicine. Did you go back in and, and reassess their pain level in 30 minutes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? What was it? Oh, it was much better. It was a three. Okay, chart that while I go in the room and see the patient and they're writhing around in pain, you know, writhing around in pain. Those types of things I feel like I probably could fall in the under mm-hmm. the, the dome of fabrication as well as fabrication through omission. But ultimately, you're thinking in your head as a student, yeah, I'll just go back in there and give them something else in a minute. But for right now, I don't want to get in trouble. And I think everything we're talking about with with integrity, cheating, dishonesty, whatever you want to call it, it all is rooted in self-concept. It really is rooted in self-concept because it's either I just like getting away with this or I get a high by, by getting away with this or I can outwit you or my only way of feeling good about myself is the number that I get on this test for this assignment. And if I don't, I'm just destroyed as opposed to this could be a learning opportunity for me. Right. Ultimately, it's, it's a very self-centered ideology. And I think that that is where we have to start. We really do have to start, to me, with the professional identity and not just throw those academic policies into a syllabus somewhere, but reinforce that throughout the program. I love that point. And I think I would add to that is making sure students know it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to say, oh my gosh, Dr. Taylor, I forgot to go do that. I'm going to go do that right now. Right now. And that's how you, that's how you learn, right? That's how you learn. You know, that's that nurse devil and that nurse angel. I'm telling you, (laughs) they talk to me all the time. (laughs) Gladly the nurse angel talks louder, but um, yeah, letting students know it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I'm going to go do that right now. And, or I'll figure it out. And I'll make sure in the future to, to make sure I, reassess yeah. the pain level at a, you know, at appropriate time. I had a mentor when I was a, a younger faculty that told me it's okay to, you know, that you don't know everything, you know, more than your students, but it's still okay. And I, I'd learned as I was teaching that I took it a little bit further. I thought, you know, I need to role model that if I'm going to say it, I need to role model it. And so there would be days in, in class when I would say, I don't know who wants to go and figure that out for me who wants to volunteer to work with me on an answer and show Mm -hmm. it to the class. And I think these behaviors that we're talking about need to be role modeled because they're seeing it in their faculty where a faculty may or may not address something with one student or address it differently with a a different student. But they're also seeing it in practice when they're in the floor. Unfortunately, with nurses who are overwhelmed, who are overworked, Mm -hmm. who are you know, just period. And, and I think they're seeing some negative behaviors that they feel like they can justify within themselves because of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a tough time right now. Yeah, it it is. And so that's why I I really feel like mentoring and role modeling is, is an important component of what we're talking about here too. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, sabotage was another one that I hadn't really thought about before as academic, you know, dishonesty, but being in a group project, for example, 
and not doing your work. So you're sabotaging Mm -hmm. the success of everybody in the group would be a form of academic dishonesty. And then of course, there's just straight up cheating, right? Um, (laughs) Cheating on an exam. And and Jeff's going to talk with us more about that is specifically looking at like the T's entrance exam that so many students Mm -hmm. take. Studying from a publisher's test bank that is proprietary information and it gets online and students find it and they study it. I've seen test banks for sale online. I mean, all these things, purchasing a paper that somebody else wrote for you. I saw, I don't know how I fell into this rabbit hole on the internet. I think I got an email and -hmm. somebody was offering to write my papers for me. And I went to their website and it was a beautiful, like really well done website. It looked so legitimate, like, oh yeah, this is a normal thing. Everybody does this. It was just so shocking to me using AI to write a paper, which I will tell you, if AI writes your paper, you're immediately going to get found out because nobody speaks like that. And even just like letting another student view your test answers or your quiz answers or talking about the test questions. Mm-hmm. You know, you leave an exam and students are always like, did you get this question? Did you get that question? Mm-hmm. You really should not be talking about those things. So mm-hmm. that's just, you know, cheating or academic dishonesty isn't just walking into an exam with the answers written on the palm of your hand, right? Like that's the old school mm-hmm. way. There's all these other things. And I just want students to be thinking about them because yes, as you your point to, we are developing their professional role identity mm-hmm. to be that safe, competent, trustworthy, ethical clinician at the Mm -hmm. bedside. Yeah. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the downsides to cheating. And Jeff, you may have some input on this, I guess, looking at how it harms students. So what happens if a student, let's say a student cheats on their T's entrance exam and they, let's say they get caught. What happens? That's an excellent question, and there can be a, a variety of ramifications depending on what the cheating incident involves. So from something low level that could be relatively minor, having a note stored away that you referenced once during the exam that had a, a math value on it that is still considered cheating, obviously, but maybe a lower level infraction, you could still have your attempt invalidated. You could potentially, let's say it was our entrance exam, the T's, not be able to get into nursing school because of that one relatively minor incident. But you go up to something more severe, potentially using a phone to look up answers during your exam or taking pictures during the exam. Not only are you potentially facing those consequences related to your schooling or getting into school, but potentially you could be facing consequences in a legal form. If you attempt to steal content from a testing company or another entity, there has been legal repercussions to that pursued. And it's something, it sounds scary, but it's completely within the realm of possibility, monetary Penalties for what you've done could be in the realm of possibility, as well as 
you know, if it's something super severe, posting an entire test online, potential jail time has been in order before. Again, it sounds very severe, but it is all within the realm of possibility. Um, that's just one potential downside to cheating. I know that's some extreme examples there, but it is something we have had happen on occasions before. Wow, that's eye-opening, definitely. And even, you know, even for the student who who says, well, I'm not going to post the answers online, but I am going to help myself a little bit, they would still have their test invalidated. And the school would know why, right? Like, it's not common that tests are invalidated. And I imagine that would greatly affect their ability to get into any nursing program anywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. So I 100% not worth it for that. Let's say, like, if somebody did cheat on an entrance exam, for example, like the T's didn't get caught somehow and got into a nursing school program, the downsides there are are what, Dr. Taylor? Things like they're not ready for the rigors of nursing they're school. They're not ready. They're, they're going to be paying an awful lot of money and spending an awful lot of time to potentially not be successful. Yeah. Not, not to say that the T's is the, the in, or any entrance exam is the end all be all of requirements, but it's a good indicator. It's a good indicator. Starting your career through a falsehood, you know, um, that's how you're starting your integritous nursing career is with cheating. And I would think that it would hurt you emotionally. It will hurt you psychologically, but yeah, it's going to lessen your ability to be successful through the rest of the program. Again, I go back to that mindset there's so much competition, so much pressure to be the ultimate of whatever it is that you are wanting to to do, whether it's coming from friends, family, or whoever that social media influencer was who was able to go and get in, you know, and do this. Lots of don't want to miss out kind of thing. And the thing is, I, I know I had a friend who said this, a no or a failure or a no this time, it just means not now. It doesn't mean not ever. This is just one hurdle. But again, that mindset is just not there. And it's unfortunate. I've heard of, goodness gracious, the most ingenious ways, I will have to say, of cheating. And this is even before we did T's and all of our electronic tests that we would do. And I would, I would tell my students all the time, if you could spend like a tenth of the mental energy that you're putting into cheating, into actually learning how to be a nurse, my gosh, you would be like the best nurse ever because they were just coming up with some of the most amazing creative ways that I never would have even thought were possible. So the brain power's there, the creativity's there. Where are you directing it? (laughs) Yeah, let's redirect that energy just a little bit. (laughs) Right. There's a lot of negative impact. And I'll be honest with you, maybe they are able to squeeze their way through nursing school. You know, maybe maybe by some miracle they get through. There's two more hurdles there or two more negative downsides. One is you can't cheat in CLEX. People don't believe that, but you can't. And if by some miracle you make it through NCLEX, then ultimately you are unsafe still in my brain. Yes. To practice. And to that practice. ultimate test is yeah. what you that, do that, with a patient. Yeah. We don't want you to fail that. Right. We want you exactly. to pass that test. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I would say like if you start off having to take 
creative measures to get through, for example, Mm -hmm. your entrance exam and then your foundation classes. Mm -hmm. There's no way you're going to be able to conquer the advanced Mm -hmm. concepts. So you're Mm -hmm. going to set yourself up for potentially feeling like you need to rely on what did I what Something did I call else, creative yeah. measures to get yeah. through all of nursing school? So it's yeah. just going to set you up from the very beginning for struggle, for failure, and again, ultimately, the patient is at risk. At risk, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So you know, I understand now that I know that test security is an actual job, and it kind of sounds kind of cool. Um, Jeff, can you talk a little bit about measures that testing platforms take to reduce? cheating on those exams? Yeah, there's quite a few methods we use to reduce cheating. And I'll, I'm going to echo your, your sentiment. Before I got into test security, exam security five years ago, I myself did not realize there were professionals out there doing this every day. And you start looking at it and there are because there is the need for this sort of professional to look at this sort of behavior. And so there's a there's a large industry of test security professionals looking at this sort of behavior and ways to reduce and stop this sort of behavior from happening. So just a few of the methods we use to to sort of prevent and uh, catch people that participate in cheating type behavior. One of the biggest ones is technology. You mentioned earlier, and when I was in school, we only used paper and pencil for our exams, and there wasn't much of a technology aspect to it. But the way exams are today now, technology obviously plays a huge part in pretty much every exam given, and we use that technology as well to both identify instances of cheating and to prevent cheating from occurring as well. So things like browser controls on your internet browser to make sure you can't click on another website or look up answers during an exam. You can't copy and paste from the assignment you're doing and copy and paste it into a Word document. There's a lot of logging of access as well in the technology field. So you may do something during an exam or during your assignment, but it is logged ultimately in a database somewhere. And we have the ability to go back and see what occurred during that exam to see if it's something that shouldn't have happened, as well as the logging of your key presses if you try to copy and paste or right-click on something along those lines. And then just general computer info. We can trace a lot more computer info than we previously had the ability to do so we can see what location the test or the assignment attempt came from uh, and we can potentially block that sort of behavior happening again so that's you know from the technology side that's just some of the features in place we have but then we have quite a few others as well in proctored exams you know we have approval and identification checking irregularity uh, reports and notices in case something odd or suspicious occurred during a test. And then we also have data that I want to mention as well. So when you think about after your exam is over, somebody is out there looking at that exam data after the fact 
to see if there were any odd patterns that occurred during the test. You think of people answering the exam questions the exact same way that indicate that maybe they helped each other study or they went to an online, to a website to look up exam content. We can detect that sort of behavior and follow up on it. It may give us a good indication of where cheating occurred and then help us to investigate that sort of cheating behavior and and do whatever research we need to to identify what might have occurred. Wow. I had no idea it was so high tech. That's just amazing. (laughs) So you mentioned irregularities with the proctored exams. Can you talk a little bit about what would flag someone to say they're exhibiting irregular behavior? Yeah, there's quite a few different things that could flag as irregular behavior. It could be something simple as timing in your exam compared to your normal testing behavior. If we looked at a fast test or a slow test, but then other irregularities during an exam can be anything from technology-based, like I mentioned, you know, clicking to copy and paste or trying to get outside of your browser window, but it could also include non-technology-based irregularities, um, colluding with somebody during the exam, copying off their screen by looking at the person in front of you. That's still a testing irregularity. The proctor in the testing room or the online proctor, depending on how you're, you're testing, can report that as an irregularity and the technology can help us to identify behavior like that as well. That is super cool. Yeah, it's, it's come a long way too since, uh, yeah. you know, even just four years ago when, when mm-hmm. the pandemic started and more and more tests went remote, mm-hmm. the logging of the irregularities and the type of irregularity data that we see and analyze on a daily basis is just so much stronger uh, than it used to be. And we can see all sorts of things like that that I never would have thought possible a few years ago. Wow, that's really, really interesting. So. Another question I have is, because again, I think sometimes students might not understand what's cheating and what's not. Obviously, the things you mentioned, that's pretty black and white. What if I'm a a student and I take my teas and then I go into a Facebook group and spill all the tea about what was on the test? Is that cheating? That is cheating. And we take a very broad view of cheating. So going back to what was stated earlier, We kind of view cheating as misrepresenting anybody else's knowledge as your own, Mm -hmm. no matter how you obtain that knowledge. And this, you know, a lot pertains to exams, which is my main focus, but can can pertain to other assignments and other coursework as well. But if you're using any method to represent somebody else's knowledge as your own, we consider that a form of cheating. So if you go into Facebook and say, I got a question about the mitochondria in a cell, and you don't provide any other details, that still enables somebody else to know the type of subject on that test question. And that is a form of cheating in our mind. So even though that might seem like a a fairly obscure or not all that relevant instance of cheating, it is still considered cheating in our view. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. So as I was working um, with members of your team on this episode, they mentioned you might have some stories about some interesting or even funny ways students have tried to cheat and gotten caught. We have had quite a few instances of what I would consider interesting cheating events that we have seen over the years. Some of the most interesting, I believe, from recent memory Sound signaling is always an interesting one to me, and we've seen this in a a few different methods that I'll 
describe. So on site, I've uh, I've watched a test on site, and an individual sounded to have a very bad cough on that day. But after you listened to it for a few minutes, it was pretty easy to tell that they were reading a question and coughing a certain number of times after the question to indicate which answer they were choosing on that question. We've Mm -hmm. seen the same in a remote test uh, that was recorded via the camera. In this instance, they used some sort of horn to signal the answers. Somebody off screen was signaling the answer by sounding a horn a number of times to indicate the correct answer. I'm not sure why they thought the sound in the exam wasn't recorded, but it was very obvious and very loud and led to an immediate invalidation of their attempt. We've had some other instances like impersonation of a test taker. We've had fairly unobvious attempts at that when it was twins testing for each other that looked very similar. But we've also had people of opposite backgrounds test for each other that look nothing like each other as well. Very easy to catch that one, but it was something we saw as well. And then two other examples I'll give that we found very interesting. So one was voice modulation and they weren't modulating their own voice, but they were using Siri in their exam to look up answers and to try to avoid the audio detection in the exam from recognizing another voice, they modulated Siri's voice via software to sound like somebody in the witness protection program. So Siri all of a sudden had a very deep and slow voice, but listening to it, you could definitely hear that it was talking about nursing content and specifically the questions they were getting in that exam. And then the last example I like to bring up is if you're doing a remote exam or even on-site exams that use the camera on the computer, which is becoming more and more popular, covering that camera in some way. The popular trend a few years ago was to cover it with tape so that you could still be on camera, but you couldn't be seen doing what you're doing. And I want to say that was very easy for us to catch, even though there was a, a large population that was trying that. But the one instance that really stood out to me is somebody that apparently didn't have tape available to them to cover their camera. So they audibly asked if something like Jell-O would be able to cover their camera uh, while they were testing or while they were beginning their test. Uh, luckily, I we didn't see them try to put that on their camera, but it was something that we, you know, they could have possibly attempted to do. So that was a, that was one that all of these attempts, it seems like the test taker didn't think they would be all that obvious, but to us in our review, it was fairly easy yeah, to identify. It sounds like it. Oh my gosh. I well, wouldn't it, even know how to make Siri talk in a different voice. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think it, it had to involve some other software, possibly on the mobile device that was being used. It, but yeah, it was something we had not even considered before. Think, but again, very easy wasting, to detect. They might be wasting their talents. They might right? need to choose a cybersecurity <laughs> there you career. Go. You know, before it's so funny because before we went fully electronic with testing at schools, I can remember the first time I had to come in and tell students they were no longer allowed to bring their own pens into testing. Like we would usually let them bring pens in. And actually, this was computer, it was the early days of computer testing. They could have a sheet of paper that we gave them, but then they could bring their own pen in, you know, to make notes as they were going through to, to scratch through, you know, and kind of help them think. 
and a student had learned how to take everything out of a ballpoint pen and type or write small enough so they could screw it up into the top of the pen and then they would just twist the pen and, and see the answers. And again, I just, I think these people need to, to be working for like the CIA or something. I think they're just wasting their talent. They're in with, a, the wrong field. They're <laughs> something in the wrong else. Field. But you know, NCSB, it's, it's interesting to hear these stories because NCSBN has a camera on them, but they also have a camera on the room. Very typically not a large number of people in the room. They have a monitor that's physically in the room. They actually take body movements, whether they are intentional or not, and they will stop and they will analyze those body movements. We had a student many, many years ago whose test was invalidated because, you know, you have these boards up so that you can't see the other person beside you because they may or may not be even taking NCLEX. They may be taking a completely different standardized test. But he kept, as he would go through and answer his test, he'd, he'd start doing like this, you know, and like shaking his hands like this. And he, he says it was just to help him think or whatever, but he'd do it. He'd kind of lean his head back or whatever. And they invalidated his test because, you know, they, they were picking up on movements that they considered to be suspicious. And so when we tell students, ice down, ice board, quit worrying about figuring a way around this because you can't figure a way. And if that is all you're worried about is a way to get around it, this is not the place for you. It really right. isn't because ultimately it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. I like that. I like that distinction. If your efforts are going into <laughs> looking for these shortcuts, that's a really clear sign you're yeah. in, you're in the wrong field. Yeah. So Cybersecurity no... is right down the hall, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go work with Jeff. Building. Sounds like he's got a really cool job. Yeah. Really for real. <laughs> Exactly. All right. I want to talk a little bit, and you mentioned this briefly, Dr. Taylor, is how academic integrity extends into clinical. So I'm going to start teaching clinical in a couple of weeks. I'm super excited Yay! about it. Yay. Yay. I know. I'm really, really excited about it. And I know that there are opportunities mm-hmm. for students to, again, have their nurse angel, their nurse devil. So I'd like to talk to you about some things that you've seen in clinical Mm-hmm. Just to clarify for a student, like what would be considered academic dishonesty or cheating in clinical? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. Um, and of course, just in the years that since I've retired from that and moved on, policies have changed dramatically related to electronic devices in clinical. They're allowed to have electronic devices in clinical because the nurses use theirs as well for charting or for looking up information. And so, of course, I always would tell my students, whatever the case may be, you're there to look up information. That's fine. Look up your information and move on. I think that a lot of what you see is a lot of more on the omission side, whether it's not reporting something, not documenting something because you're afraid of the consequences or because it doesn't equal up to what you told your instructor or the nurse. A student was being individually monitored with a nurse. She'd been assigned to a nurse. It's kind of like almost like a preceptor on a separate unit from where I was. And at the end of the day, I went to to collect her and, and bring her back to the group. This is the end of the day that the, the nurse pulled me aside. She said, hey, I just want to let you know we had a little incident, but it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. We just, it just said we, meaning this, the student, kind of got mixed up on how much morphine to give this this patient. It ended up being fine. It ended up being fine. And I filled out just, I just documented it in the chart. 
and we got it all. We talked, you know, did all this and did all this. But I was not notified immediately that it had happened. If anything had gone wrong, you know, I, I would be held liable for it. And I was very disappointed in the fact that this nurse had not come to me. And the nurse didn't want to hurt the girl's feelings. She didn't want to get her in trouble. And I pulled both of them in there and said, no, that's no, this is not acceptable. And here's why. And so that's why I kind of harp on the whole role modeling situation. It, it's not about you getting in trouble. It's really not. Yes, you might. Yes, there are going to be consequences to your action. But is that what you're worried about at that moment? You just potentially overdosed a patient. You just potentially put a mark on my license and that nurse's license, you know, that, that could take us to the, to the Board of Nursing for legal action. So things like that, that, that omission. And so I would always encourage my other clinical instructors, stop them at the door before you walk in the door. And if you, in your, in your mind, are not comfortable sending that student in to do something, question them before they walk in the room, not in an accusatory way, but, hey, walk me through, talk me through what you're about to go do again. Tell me what you're going to go do. Why are, you, why are you doing that? And if you're not hearing the right answer, the decision has not happened appropriately, you know what, before we go do that, let's go back in here and go to the table. And let's talk through this scenario one more time. Right. Because I think we may be missing something. And role modeling that whole, you know, as opposed to, you need to go to the corner, mister. <laughs> right. Not, you're not doing it right. But as a nurse on the floor, if I'm your nurse supervisor, let me show you how this would work. Let's, let's go and sit and talk through this and figure out where the missing piece is so that they know, n- number one, they were making the wrong decision. But number two, this is the appropriate channel to follow. If, right. if that happens, that's a big part of, of integrity, I think, in the clinical setting. And then, like I said, the paperwork. I, I don't care if five of you worked on the same patient. There should be five completely separate care plans and five completely separate documentation sets because I want to know what your decision process was that day as you cared for that patient. I know what their vital signs were. I can go and look that up myself. Mm-hmm. They're not going to change. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they are what they are. I can see all that in the chart. I know what the doctor said. I know what the nurse said. This piece of paper is giving me an insight into your thinking process so that I can redirect it if I see that it needs to be redirected. It's not for me to give you a score and say, go home and live with it, is an opportunity for me to see where your thinking is. Yeah, so I that love when that. Because that particular scenario that day, that patient is going to show up on your test. I'm trying to help you learn to be able to close your eyes, think through the process and say, oh yeah, that's what I did that day and it was correct. So now I know what to answer on the test. Right. And then when you have a patient, when you're licensed, you'll mm-hmm. know what to do. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's it there's there's a lot of it and and it's it really is less in the clinical setting about less cheating and more just omission. I would and, say that too. Yes. Which I is and still I, che- cheating, right, but yeah, not, I, you know. I don't know for sure, but I think maybe some of it could come from what they see the nurse do. And oh, nurses have, you know, nurses oh, yeah. have bad habits. Absolutely. Um, something a nurse should never do, but I've seen done is where they take the prior nurse's assessment and copy it as mm-hmm. their own. That is not cool. So a student might see the yeah. nurse do that and not I realize that's... that that's not correct and then do that themselves. Yeah. And that yeah. would be something that would be um, definitely not okay. Making up respiratory rates, that mm-hmm. is the most fabricated vital sign of them all. 
and I cannot figure out why it does not take that long to count someone's respiration. Well, and I was going to say the other one is blood pressure because we would always make ours take a manual, even if there was a Dynamap or a machine, you know, if they didn't hear it or whatever, they would just say, oh, well, let me go and look and see what the last one was. And I'm just going to, you know, do it. That's scary. Yeah. And (laughs) so, and so that's, again, that is where as an instructor, you really do play a vital role in observing behavior because this is where the observable behavior and competencies come from. And then being able to point out maybe some negative role model behaviors. Mm-hmm. Right. And really talking through how you would address that because these students are going to very soon be working side by side with those same people. Yep. Not only do they need to know that that behavior is not, is not appropriate, but what is the ethical thing to do about it? Because mm-hmm. a lot of them will go into it and be like, I don't want to say anything. They didn't say anything to me when I was a student. So I'm just, you know. And then it not, just perpetuates. It perpetuates. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you got to really get that that professional mindset. And that is one area that we hear our clinical partners just harp on right now. We had a panel group in last week to talk to the the entire company to Ascend and consistently across the board, what we hear is professionalism, lack of professionalism, because people think professionalism and professional identity are the same thing and they're not. Mm -hmm. I can be polite. I can speak well. I can dress appropriately, but not have a clue, you know, how to really identify myself in that role and, and act appropriately. And a lot of that is having that integrity, that Mm -hmm. moral compass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I've, Learned so much from talking with both of you. Is there anything else either of you would like to add about academic integrity that we didn't get to cover? You know, I think the one thing I've been thinking of through all of this is not only have these different cheating methods that we've seen and our different prevention methods change a lot over the last few years, but something we've been seeing from schools we work with and and within our team personally is the way that the ramifications for these have been changing as well. We've seen a lot harsher penalties uh, recently for for cheating and for academic dishonesty in general. And, and as new methods are being developed, like some of the ones we've talked through here today, it's been kind of a, a sea change in the way that schools have said, yeah, well, looking at content on the internet is cheating and now we're going to punish it appropriately or um you know the obvious ones like looking off your neighbor's answers and your tests and stuff like that and i think that's only going to continue to evolve and that's something i think that in these qualifications we've all mentioned here today it's going to benefit everybody it it may seem a little harsh or it may seem a little bit restrictive but i think it's only going to further increase the academic integrity of this field and of testing in general Nice. Yeah, and I, I would definitely echo that. And I would I would also just say I want to encourage students who, who may hear this, faculty if they hear it, but really, really challenge yourself to change your mindset. Change your mindset to when you when you get a score or you come across a roadblock that you feel like is gonna hold me back or this is gonna damage me in some way. I want to encourage you to change your mindset to let me look at an opportunity here of a hole or gap in my knowledge that I can do something about. Not now is not ever kind of thinking. I'm, I'm not a nurse yet. I'm not going to get through this yet. Those, all of those different keywords and realize that tests, whether electronic tests or 
simulation rubrics or care plans or discussion questions, whatever the case may be that's assigned to you, those are opportunities for your instructors to be able to not only see how you're thinking, but to redirect that thinking so that we can help you become an ethically sound, safe, competent nurse. Give us that chance to have that view. doesn't matter what your neighbor or chat GBT or, or, or Alexa said. We want to know what you would actually do at the bedside. Right. So that we can then help you become the best nurse you can be. And without that mindset, it's really kind of pointless. You know, it really is. And so I just, I want to encourage, I want to encourage you as a instructor. I know you're about to start doing clinical too, to just take those opportunities to, to talk to the students, you know, really talk to them and explain why this is so important. You know, I think if they really hear it in a way that's not about the punitive side of things of go sit in your corner, shame on you. But this is why this is important. This is why there are punitive components to it. I think we would possibly have some better outcomes. I like that. Okay. Thank you for that advice. And thank you both for your expertise (laughs) and your knowledge and sharing so much with me and my listeners today. Yes. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And that wraps up today's episode with a huge thank you to ATI Nursing for sponsoring us at Straight A Nursing. ATI empowers nurses at every step of their journey with top-notch education and resources. For more information, visit atitesting.com and take the next step in your nursing career. I hope that you've enjoyed this bonus episode with our sponsor, ATI, and that you take from this that academic integrity goes beyond just exams. It actually does infuse all parts of your nursing school education and your practice as a nurse. I know that because you're listening to my podcast that you have the absolute best intentions. You want to do your best and be your best. And I 100% believe in you. See you soon. Are you embarking on your journey to become a nurse? The NCLEX exam is your next big step. And virtual ATI NCLEX prep is here to ensure you pass with flying colors. Their comprehensive online program offers personalized learning, detailed feedback from a nurse educator, and a plethora of practice questions that mimic the real exam. With virtual ATI, you gain the confidence and knowledge needed to succeed on your first try. Join thousands of satisfied nursing graduates and turn your dreams into reality. Visit www.atitesting.com to learn more and begin your path to becoming a nurse today with a virtual ATI NCLEX prep. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing, a proud member of the Airwave Media Network. For more educational podcasts, check out airwavemedia.com And for more nursing-related content, go to straightanursingstudent.com.